Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music this morning, and welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. We are back in the book of Galatians this morning. We kind of took a week off last week for Mother's Day, and we will take another week off next week for Memorial Day. But we're working through this book of Galatians, and we're still in chapter 1. This will be the last uh, message in that chapter. This is uh, message number 5, however, and uh, if it's been a couple weeks since uh, you opened this book and looked at it, I'll remind you that last time we looked at verses 10 to 17, and I called it a picture of conversion, where Paul, in those verses, explains a little bit how he came to the Lord, and really about how any of us come to the Lord. And so he, ex he explained conversion uh, and called it the gospel in verse 11. And this is an important thing, this being Paul's first book, one of the earliest books in the New Testament, the gospel needs to be explained, and the fact of what happened in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we come to verse 18 this morning, to the end of the chapter, and in these uh, verses, Paul is going to begin kind of a bio or, or, excuse me, a biographical uh, section, a historical narrative, you might say, for the rest of chapter 1 and all the way through chapter 2. It's kind of an interesting uh, portion of Scripture. There are many uh, parts like this. But he's going to take two chapters in this book just to give the history of everything so that his readers know why he's doing what he's doing, why he's saying what he's saying. So, do you like geography? <laughs> We'll, we'll look at a little geography this morning, uh, biblical geography, that is. Do you like character studies where you see a little bit of this person's history and that person's history? We'll do a little bit of that over these two chapters. Even if you like debate and discussion and a little bit of conflict between believers over certain things, we'll see Paul and Peter kind of uh, talking about these kinds of things uh, in a very direct way. But Paul is doing it for a reason. He's telling a story, but this story is for a reason. Now, you know, you and I like to tell our stories, don't we? I mean, we talk with people, and, and uh, you, we can't wait to give our, our part of it. Sometimes we do it a little unnecessarily. Uh, you remember asking your grandma or maybe your mom uh, some simple question like, uh, you know, now, who, who was your brother? And uh, she begins to answer by saying, well, I was born during the Depression. And then you know this answer is going to be about 30 minutes, you know, and I might get around to your answer. We do that a lot because we like to tell the history of things. Uh, we just uh, kind of like our own history. But what we need to understand is Paul is doing all of this, of course, by inspiration. We're, we're not inspired. We are, but not by the Holy Spirit. But he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit's doing this for a reason. Uh, all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God, so it's all profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and so forth. And so everything that the Holy Spirit puts in here is important for some reason. And I think one of our challenges is to try to pull out of even these historical narrative parts of the Bible why it's here. And, and what Paul is trying to do here with, with these words. So here is, here's what I think, as far as a proposition goes, what I think Paul is trying to do in this historical section that we're going to read. 
And that is that this scripture that I'm talking about, this gospel, if you will, is from God. It's not just from me, or nor is it from you. It's not just from my thoughts or my ideas or, or even my doctrine that I made up. It didn't come from some other person who told me this either. This is from God. And I want you to go through a few things in my life, he says, so that I can show you. I didn't just make this up. I didn't just get it from anybody. God revealed this to me. As a matter of fact, look back up at verse 11 and 12 again. I, made known, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is what? Not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That, folks, is the Word of God. That's what we hold in our hands. That's why this book is so precious. And really, there's no other book in the world like it. There's no, there never has been another book inspired like this book. So we're going to look at some of these things. And before we get into the verse 18 here, I want you to notice a, a little chronology with me just to kind of put your mind back in the place and time that we're talking about. We read, Kent read for us a few minutes ago, through chapter 2, verse 1. And if you're looking at that verse in your Bible, you see the expression 14 years, right? So 14 years he's covering in this discussion that he's talking about. He likes that term 14 years. As a matter of fact, he's going to say it in his book of, of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He's going to mention that 14 years ago, uh, I knew a man in Christ, you know, above 14 years ago. So he's going to talk about that too. But I want you to, I want you to think about this. He's, he is writing this book in 48, maybe it's 49 A.D. Okay, Jesus, Jesus walked on the earth and died in 32, it could be 33 A.D., but probably 32 A.D. And now it's 48 you know, that, that isn't very long. That's a short period of time to go by, and that's uh, in the first century. We would probably put Paul's conversion about 34 A.D., the time the gospel had spread and, and persecution had begun and ten, uh, uh, Stephen was martyred and, and, and Philip was preaching and Saul of Tarsus heads up to Damascus to persecute more Christians. There, God converts him. If we put his conversion at 34 A.D., guess what? That's 14 years before he's writing this book. And so if he's writing this book in 48, and he was converted in 34, that, that's the time frame that he's talking about. We see in verse 18 that he mentions three years that he was in Arabia. That would be about 37 A.D., then we have 11 years that he goes back to Tarsus where he learns that would make it 47, 48. And then he comes back in, uh, to Antioch and he goes up to Jerusalem, chapter 2 and verse 1, in about 48 A.D. So I'm just emphasizing that he sees these years very particularly. He, he understands what has happened to him. He's talked to them already about his own conversion. And now... It's 14 years later, and he's writing this book to them. Now, to me, 
that speaks a lot of things. Number one, Christianity spread quickly in those years. From the time Jesus died and, and resurrected and ascended back to heaven, and now you're only you know, 15, 16 years later, and you have this much going on all over the known part of the world and persecution and everything. Not only that, but opposition spread quickly, not only the gospel and Christianity, but there are people persecuting them in a very serious way, and Paul had been one of those. The apostles are spread out now. When he goes back to Jerusalem, he says, uh, the only two that were still in town are Peter and James, and uh, the other are out preaching somewhere else. Galatians is the first book that Paul's going to write. Maybe the book of James is written by this time, but that would be the only new parts of the New Testament they even have at this time, and yet they're preaching the gospel all over the world. Pretty amazing when you think about it. And they're only halfway through the first century. And not only that, they're only 25 years into that part of of history. So things have moved very quickly, and he is speaking to them now about this gospel that has been preached for these 25 years uh, now all over, all over the world. So you see in your, in your bulletin kind of a, an outline that I think is, is why we're looking at these verses. He is going to say for his purpose the gospel comes from God, not from me, and not from any other man. It comes from God. And secondly, this gospel changes people. This gospel converts people. It converted me, he's going to say. And Peter and James and, and all of you, he's con it converts you, he says. So uh, here in verse 18, as he begins in, uh, in chapter 1, uh, understand this, when, when he says, then after three years I went up there, I saw Peter, I saw James, and so forth, his enemies were looking for ways to discredit him. His enemies already. This, this guy, he had been on their side. He had been their champion. And then all of a sudden he gets converted by this gospel, and they say to him, you're crazy. It's kind of like a politician changing sides today, right? I mean, they're, they're, your enemies are still your enemies. And so they're trying to show that Paul is a charlatan. Paul is a fake. He's not what he says he is. All these people who are all excited about his preaching and everything, you've got it all wrong. Uh, he's been persuaded by somebody, something, someplace, uh, but you don't need to be listening to him. So... These verses are going to explain where he got it. And as I read verses 11 and 12, he's already said, I got this from God. It is a revelation from God. Now, folks, that is still our challenge today, isn't it? Is this book God's word? Is what is said in this book a revelation of God? Then we say to the world, then why don't you believe it? <laughs> we say to the world, why don't you follow it? Why don't you understand what it says? Whether we go back in history or whether we go forward in, in prophetic things, why don't you believe it? But they can't and they won't. And the first time they believe this book, they're going to have to be converted to this book, and they know it. And so did Paul's enemies. They knew that. So notice 
under the first section here, under the, the gospel comes from God, I have four places mentioned, Arabia, Jerusalem, Galatia, and then Tarsus. You look at that and say, ah, that kind of looks like a boring sermon to me. No, I told you, you like geography? <laughs> We're going to look at a little geography. What he's saying here, folks, is, let me tell you up front. What he's saying is, I didn't get it when I was in Arabia. I didn't get it, that is, from Arabians. I didn't get it in Jerusalem from Peter or James. I didn't get it in Galatia from you guys. I didn't get it from Tarsus from anybody up there. Jesus Christ gave me this gospel wherever I went. That's what he's proving. So it's not just a geography lesson. It's not just a history lesson. He's got to say this for a definite reason. So in verse 18, notice in verse 17, by the way, I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So we hit on that at the end of the last message. But then after three years, I went to Jerusalem. But I want to stop there with the thought of Arabia. So again, if he's converted in about 34 uh, A.D., a couple years after Jesus has ascended back to heaven, he's been up in Damascus, Acts chapter 9, that Damascus road experience where he's converted. Jesus appears to him and he sees the Lord. And so he's there. And when you read Acts chapter 9, uh, you know, he stirred up a lot. <laughs> he started preaching there. And then he went over just, uh, you know, to the east a little ways into Arabia for three years, and he was there in the desert area or in the wilderness area and came back to Damascus. All of that took three years. Now, interesting, I, I told you about Arabia, that Arabia was a large area in those days. It went from way down south where Mount Sinai is in the, in the Arabian Peninsula all the way up north of Damascus, and it was called the Nabataean empire. And that Nabataean empire, all of it was called Arabia. So whether you were way down south or way up north, you could still be in Arabia pretty easily. And Damascus was right on the edge. You could just go over into it. I want to show you something interesting. Go back to your left, a page or two, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is where, by the way, in verse 2, he mentions another 14 years, but that's a little different 14 years than the one he's talking about here. But I want your eye to go back up to verse 32 of chapter 11. You're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 32. Now, in Damascus, <laughs> that's when he was there in those three years. The governor, notice, under Eratus the king, you know who he is? He is the king of the Nabataean Empire. He's the king of Arabia. So he had, it says, a governor in Damascus. So this governor under Eratus the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to apprehend me. So he's been there three years. He's preaching, and man, they're after him already. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. So here he is in Damascus, and he's been there. He went out to Arabia. He came back. He's preaching, and they want to kill him. They want to destroy him. They can't let this thing that he's preaching be known even. 
And so this is where he, the story is. In, in Acts, you, you see it, and here in, uh, that he mentions it in 2 Corinthians, that he, he had to escape. Now, folks, sometimes escaping is the right thing to do, and sometimes standing is the right thing to do. I mean, it, it just depends on what God wants and how God leads at that time. People who have been persecuted to their death throughout the church age sometimes have to flee sometimes just have to stand and take it. And, and you see that in the Apostle Paul's life as well. So, uh, did he learn the gospel over there? After all, you know, those Arabians, they're our, they're our enemies, the Jews said. They're not Jews, they're Gentiles. And they hate what the Jews believe. You went over there and got this crazy doctrine about grace and about all of these things. You got it over there in Arabia, didn't you? And he's just saying, no, I received it from God. And I came back, and you didn't like it because it was from God. So was God giving it to him? Verse 12 said yes. And probably those three years, he spent alone with God in the desert or in the wilderness, and God was teaching him through revelation that he mentions here. So first of all, there's time in Arabia. Secondly, there was a little bit of time then in Jerusalem. So he's, he's let down the wall in a basket. He flee, he's fleeing uh, Damascus and those that are after him, and he heads down toward Jerusalem. Now he knows Jerusalem. He was there as a, he lived there. He went to school there, and and uh, you know he served there. Everybody knows Jerusalem, but not as a believer. And when he goes back to Jerusalem, you you know th th this would be like Adolf Hitler going back to Jerusalem. He he's going back there, and they're saying, oh no, not this guy. You know what's he coming here for? And, and that's why uh, we, uh, we see these verses in the, in the text, especially verse 23. You know, he's the one that persecuted us. So he goes back, notice uh, verse 18 now again. I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Now, Paul in his lifetime visits Jerusalem a number of times. And so he kind of is marking this one out. This is his first time he's been there, a short time. Uh, and he says in verse 19, And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Did you get this, did you get this gospel from the apostles? I, didn't, I hardly even saw any of them down there. And here's an interesting thing. You see the word see there. I went to Jerusalem to see Peter. Here's your grammatical little detail for today. That word see there is translated from a word that only appears here in the New Testament and nowhere else. But what it means in other literature is, I went to get acquainted. I went to introduce myself with Peter. It's not so much that I went there to learn from Peter. And after all, if you're going to do that, you're not going to do it in just 15 days. I just needed to meet him and introduce myself to him and find out who he is because I'm a believer now like he is. That's what that word means, and that's why he went there. And so he gets to know Peter. That, that would be an interesting thing to see, wouldn't it? Peter, who was converted, uh, you know, from a, a, a fisherman mentality, and, and yet he comes to the Lord, and now here's Paul who is converted. And not only that, but what did verse 19 say? I also met James. Now, again, James was 
the Lord's brother. He's the child of Mary and Joseph. James and Judas in the New Testament, they, they both write a book of the New Testament, and these were brothers of Jesus. Now, I want to read you a couple verses about James. First of all, I go back to John chapter 7, verse 3. Jesus is preaching, and it says, His brothers, which would be James and Judas and two other boys, therefore said to him in this derogatory way, Depart from here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. That's James saying, I don't believe you. So go down there to Jerusalem if you, you know, if you're, uh, are who you say you are and make yourself known. Now, James and Judas didn't believe as long as Jesus lived on this earth. Can you imagine that? Two brothers of Jesus and they don't become believers until later? Well, when in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's writing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and after how he was resurrected, he appeared to the various disciples. Remember that? He appeared to women at the tomb and he appeared to other things. So in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, then it says, after that, he was seen by James. You know what Jesus did? He went to his brother in his resurrected glory, and he stood before James, and he said, you know who I am? James had to say, I know. Do you believe on me now, James? Of course I do. And James becomes the pastor of that great church at Jerusalem, uh, and then he writes that book of the New Testament. Now, can you imagine this meeting between Peter and James and, and Paul down in Jerusalem for 15 days? How did you get saved? Jesus appeared to me, and when he appeared to me, I said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. And so he says, well, Lord, then what do you want me to do? That's all. He appears to James, and James said, I was out somewhere, wherever it was, and he came and met with me, and I had to believe who he was, my resurrected brother. Peter says, I denied him. I didn't, I, I, I didn't know what was going to happen, but he resurrected, and he came to me, and he said, Peter, do you love me? And I had to say, of course you know I love you. I mean, this must have been a great reunion when they had it in those days. So here are men that, that Jesus appeared to, and they are important men. But is Paul saying, did I get my gospel even from them? Did I make this thing up because Peter told me something or James told me? Basically, he's saying, no, I just went there and got acquainted with them and had a good uh, time for 15 days, and then I was gone. So back to our text. I, I told you, you, you like this geography, don't you, and stuff like that. All right. A time in Galatia. Now, I use this parenthesis in verse 20 to mean this. Now, can, he, he's speaking to Galatians, right? Who's this book in, uh, addressed to? Galatians, up there north. Now, concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, you know that I'm not lying about them. I was up there with you uh, in this area of Galatian, 
And you remember when I was there, don't you? You remember that Barnabas and I came? You remember that there was a young man named John Mark, and he saw how tough it was, and he went back home? And you remember that I worked miracles among you, and that when I preached, you know, you Galatians at first thought I was like a god from heaven. And then we corrected that, and then the Jews came, and they started persecuting, and, and then you stoned me and left me for dead. You remember that? I mean, he's going back through all of these details with them in Galatia. You know that what I'm saying to you is not a lie, but it's the truth. Look what the gospel did among you. Look who it saved. Look, look what happened uh, by miracles even among yourselves. You know these things. The Jews were in diaspora. They, they were dispersed from Jerusalem because of persecution and because of famine, and they were up there in Galatia. These Jews were. But when Paul was preaching among them, they got upset that he was saying, you don't have to keep the law anymore. The law is done, and now we're saved by grace. We're always saved by grace, but I mean, this is the day of grace, the, the gospel of grace, and that's what I'm preaching to you. And they hated it. They've hated him ever since. So he's trying to show that in Arabia, in Jerusalem, even in Galatia, and one last place that he went was Tarsus. And so we go to verse 21. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. What is that? Well, that's basically he went home to Tarsus. If we were following the chronology again, when he went, back, when he went down there uh, for those 15 days, he was speaking and he was preaching even in Jerusalem, as we see, uh, you know, again in verse 23, they didn't know who he was. And so they began to persecute him there and they sent him off to, uh, to Tarsus. You go back home for a while. And according to the chronology, it must have been about 10 or 11 years that he's in, that he's back home in Tar Tarsus. Now, Syria was a big area. You see the Mediterranean Sea there, and you see Israel on the right end of the Mediterranean Sea, and up north across the top of the Mediterranean is that area of Galatia. Well, if you take this area here and go up the coast and across the top and make kind of a L-shaped figure out of it, you have Syria, almost what we have today, at least part of the region that we have today, Syria. And then up at the top, you take a little circle out of Syria, and you have Kalikia. I, I pronounce it that way because in Greek, there are two kappas or two k's, and in English, we usually pronounce those hard sounds, Kalikia. Uh, but it doesn't matter. Who knows how they pronounced it? Um, and, and in that little circle called Kalikia, you can put a dot in the middle of that, and you have Tarsus. That's where Paul is from, right there, Tarsus of Kalikia of Syria, of Galatia. <laughs> That's where he lived. And so when he's, he says it this way, basically he's saying that I went home to Tarsus. Now I'm there for 10 or 11 years, he says. Did I get my gospel from those people? Did I get it from them? They didn't even know the gospel. No, for those 11 years, the Lord taught me. The Lord showed me the gospel. The Lord was revealing unto me these things. I mean, Paul if you talk about homeschooling, he was homeschooled. If you talk about a self-taught man, he was in the sense that God taught him. Now, I wish we had the same advantage. 
I, I wish that God could come to us personally and give us revelation that, you know, in miraculous means, and we wouldn't have to go to school. We wouldn't have to do any, any studying or anything like that. We'd know it all. That's not our advantage, except I say this, folks. We do need to get alone with God. And in this age in which we live, there are so many voices, so many people we hear more voices and more points of view and more preachers and more, you know, messages than any people who have ever lived. And you know what I mean. Some of you may be looking at your phone right now, and you should be listening to me, but, it, but you know, but you, you can do that. I mean, everywhere you go, you got at your fingertips, you got voices from all over the world. Sometimes we need to just get alone with God. And meditate on God's word and let the Holy Spirit speak to us and, and, and listen to his word, what he has to say to us. So here he was in those 11 years in Tarsus. Now, folks, here were the, his enemies trying to convince people Paul got this message from somewhere else. Paul didn't get it from what, what he's talking about, and yet he did. I would say that the world ever since will fight to any means to keep from believing that this book is God's Word. Maybe it's like every other wonderful book that's ever been written, you know, from all of the famous authors and all the famous people of history. They all wrote books. Maybe this is just another one. Maybe it's a great poetical book like the great poets and philosophers of, of history. It must be just like that. This world cannot come to the place where they say this is God's word because as soon as you do that and I mean in a in an honest way as soon as you say that you've got to believe it <laughs> and when you believe it you've got to repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your savior and believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that's the only way that's going to make a difference you've got to do that and yet they don't Paul was was persecuting this way, hated Christianity, did not believe in this person called Jesus or resurrection or ascension. They didn't believe any of that. A good Jewish uh, Pharisee, but he didn't believe that stuff. And guess what? As soon as Jesus appeared to him, he had to fall on his face and say, you are the son of God. He had no choice. And we, we, we saw James the same way. I didn't even believe that this one I grew up with was the Christ. Jesus appears to him and James says, Lord, what do you have me to do? And the first time somebody admits that this is God's word and it's speaking to you, you got to do the same thing. And so uh, it changed all of these men immediately and they know it. Now, point number two is that the gospel changes people. I'm going to try to make this emphasis. I think that these words that remain here show us this uh, in, a, in a way. He's now referring to individuals and churches and Christian people and people that have influenced him. So in verse 22, I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea. That would be Jerusalem and the area around Jerusalem, which were in Christ. So God uses churches, I think, number, number one. Unknown, he says, to these churches. But you know what? They accept me now. And they realize I, a, a person like 
like uh, as I am, you can be saved. You can repent of your sins. You can become a believer. He knew that church at Jerusalem. He knew the church at Damascus that accepted him after he got saved. He knew the church at, at uh, uh, Antioch where he came back as a teacher. These churches accepted him because he got saved and he knew the Lord. Here's another little interesting note. In Acts chapter 9 and then 11, when you read through that part of the book of Acts, he, he is sent back up to Tarsus, as we know, where he spent 11 years. And then that church up in Antioch was really growing. It had kind of a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And so Barnabas goes all the way to Tarsus to find Paul, who's called Saul at that time still, and bring him back down to the church at Antioch because they need teachers. And we remember how this person taught, and we remember what a change it was in his life. So he comes back, and in, uh, in Acts chapter 25, or excuse me, chapter 11, verse 25, he comes to Antioch, and then the very next verse, 1126, says, and the believers were called Christians first at Antioch. And I thought to myself, I wonder if Paul had some influence in that. He comes back to that church, and he's on fire for God, and he's preaching, and that church says, well, let's just call ourselves Christians. Or maybe their enemies called them Christians. But whatever, when Paul came back, I mean, things were stirred up enough uh, through his influence or through that church that you and I have been called Christians ever since. So churches have always had a great influence uh, over these kinds of people. Secondly, God changes enemies. So in verse 23, it says, they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now <laughs> preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. Has anyone ever said that about you? When you got saved and your life was changed and you went back to your old friends and, and they said, what happened to you? Maybe that kind of thing happened to you. I don't know. But it changed. He was a persecutor. Again, look at, look at chapter 1, verse, verse um, 13. You have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Acts chapter 9 when he's going up there to Damascus where he's going to be saved, it says, Then Saul, breathing threatenings and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters of him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any of that way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He'll say this a number of times in his writings, even Philippians 3, 6, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. There's no better persecutor than I was. And he's saved. God saves him on the spot. Or Peter, or James, or uh, so many more people who got saved. And so he changes people. I don't know if I ever told you the story about a friend of mine named, named uh, Haas, Tom Hoskins. I was in high school playing sports and Haas was, a, he was a year behind me. His name was Tom Hoskins, but he was the big guy. I mean, he's a big guy. And so we called him Haas. 
He, he was the tackle on the football team. He was the heavyweight on the wrestling team, and he was the shot putter on the track team. So now you know who he is, right? Uh, he got in trouble once and was brought before a judge. This is the honest truth. And the judge called him a one-man gang. Well, we played sports together. And so we had this revival going on at our church, and I invited a bunch of the guys that I played football with, and Haas came along and a few other guys. And in that service... Tom Hoskins got saved, heard the gospel, maybe for the first time in his life, I don't know, got saved. And he came, we hadn't left the church, and he came up to me, and he called me by my nickname, which I'm not going to tell you, but he just said to me, he says, if anybody makes fun of you again at school, you just tell me and I'm going to beat them up. I thought, man, can't ask for better than that, can you, you know? What, what do new believers know? They're just, they're just changed, and they're excited about it. And so that happened to Paul. It happens to people like you. C.S. Lewis was one of the greatest atheists in Oxford University in England that lived in the world, and God changed him, and he became one of the greatest apologists of, uh, the, for the rest of his life. People like that can change. Peter changed. And Peter said, you have like precious faith with me, 2 Peter chapter 1. You have like precious faith with me and with anyone else who got saved. That's you also. So number C, God deserves praise for this, doesn't he? So in verse 24, they glorified God in me. Praise the Lord. To God be the glory. In other words, it's all of God's grace. Chapter 6 and verse 14 of this book. So he, he's going to write, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Let God have the glory for my conversion, for your conversion. And then I say lastly in chapter 2 and verse 1 that he goes down to Jerusalem and God uses Christians in our lives. And so here are the apostles, the elders, here's James, and, and he says Barnabas went with him and Titus now. Uh, God uses other believers to bring us to the Lord, and these men did. Ananias could be put in here uh, and people like that. You have those in your life, don't you? You have those that witness to you or preach to you, uh, and you became a believer, my pastor's name was John Rawlings, and he lived to be almost 100 years old, and he was one of those old-time preachers. People talk about a D.L. Moody or especially a Billy Sunday type, Mordecai Ham, even old Bob Jones. These guys were, were hellfire and damnation preachers, as they say, and that's what I grew up under. And I was saved under his preaching and, and saved by God's grace, and I knew it, and that man was my pastor the rest of my life. He got all kinds of criticism from all kinds of people for the way he preached and the way he was. But I loved him. He was my father in the ministry. I could overlook a lot of things or whatever. A man that preached the gospel and God used that to convert my soul? You have that in your life too. Somebody witnessed to you. Somebody preached to you. Well, the enemies. Of, God, of, of Paul somehow wanted to discredit him, somehow wanted to say, this isn't of God. You couldn't change his mind. He knew what had happened to him. He knew where he got this gospel. He knew that it changed sinners like himself. So Galatians, 
is the first of his writing, and we will have a whole bunch of New Testament books that explain this gospel more and more as we go along. And they will comprise the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You believe it, repent of your sins, and, and ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you can be saved. I don't know, I don't care who you are. It will change you. And so he is the only way to God. He's the good news. Paul knew it. We should know it. He preached it. We should preach it. And we should believe it. And I hope you do. So stand with me, if you will. Let's uh, pray together. Let's sing a song together that uh, magnifies this. And let's ask the Lord to bless it as we do. Let's pray. Now, Father, thank you for uh, these words in your book. Uh, sometimes these sidelined words. Sometimes they're in a genealogy. Sometimes they're just in a list of things. But, Father, uh, how important they are because you inspired them and put them there. So, Father, I pray that we, we have understood some about why these verses are here. But the one thing that we have seen, Lord, is that this gospel is from you and not from man. And that it is, it is your good news to any sinner that will come to you. We came. We came by faith. And so, Father, I pray that today, wherever the gospel is preached, that sinners might also come to faith in Jesus Christ. Bless our hearts with it. Encourage us as believers, as speakers of the gospel, and as people who try to live for you. Encourage our lives through these things. Make us better witnesses for you. We'll thank you always in Jesus' name. Amen. Gordon's going to come and lead us in a song. You respond uh, as the Lord uh, asks you to. I'm at the front, and we'll be even after the service, too. So, Gordon, come ahead.